Welcome aboard the Power Up with Manal podcast, your go-to source for inspiring entrepreneurship, leadership, and mental fitness development. Get ready to push your limits mentally and come away feeling like a turbocharged version of yourself. Let's power up our lives. On this week's episode, I present to you Mackenzie Lee, founder of Cedar Chief of Staff. Mackenzie shares how he persevered through high-pressure jobs, and facing hurdles in not very diverse or inclusive industries, how he made impactful pivots to find his why. As a consultant and de facto chief of staff, he then witnessed the huge benefits of executive support and leveraged it to create, today, his own company, Cedar, an organization devoted to empowering executives with a chief of staff. I can't wait for you to tune in and get a pump of not just motivation, but simply real talk with McKinsey. Let's power up together. Mackenzie Lee, thank you so much for joining the Power Up with Manal podcast today. We are so excited to host you. You have your journey is incredible. It is super inspiring. I personally cannot wait for everybody to hear what you've done. Um, if we can take a moment, and Mackenzie, if you can share with us, CEO, entrepreneur, did not start off as an entrepreneur, your journey of who you are, where you've been, and why you're in the position you're in today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me today, Manal. So, oh my God, Mackenzie so excited. I'm like a fan. <laughs> <laughs> CEO at Cedar, um, which is an on-demand chief of staff business. And the way I got here, I have a multi-hyphenate background, which is similar to many chiefs of staff. I've been an investment analyst, I've been a management consultant, and then I've also been a de facto chief of staff. And, you know, I saw the power that this role has on the CEO, on the executive team, and the entire company. Not to mention, you know, the development path for the chief of staff themselves. And uh, really, you know, started to think, how could I build a business around this? I saw peers from my Stanford alumni class and uh, folks you know, in the Silicon Valley space really think about leveraging this resource more and more so there's more demand. And I was like, okay, how do I cross this with the on-band model, which I experienced in a, in a previous work experience um, and bring that to life. And so today, you know, I have a talent bench of chiefs of staff with all sorts of experiences, um, you know, domain expertise, working styles that I match with founders and CEOs um, to, to achieve amazing things together, you know, bring the, their company vision to life. And I have a lot of fun talking to people on the talent side, and then also, um, you know, working with CEOs and founders to think about how they can get more leverage and maximize their personal. I love this. I love this, especially because when I think about the chief of staff role, I personally have also been chief of staff for, um, you know, a large financial institution. But what's interesting is when I was chief of staff, and maybe I'm dating myself a little bit, but when I was chief of staff, that was <laughs> not the title. The title didn't exist. It existed in like, you know, governments and, you know, I would say maybe military, right? But not really in corporate workplaces. Um, is that a little bit of a challenge, McKinsey? And are you having to do a lot of education around what the role is and how it sort of plays into the, you know, business slash corporate realm? Absolutely. Uh, one of my key goals is education. Uh, I think there's a lot of miseducation out there. So hopefully yeah, the content that I'm creating, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully the content I'm creating um, helps people learn a little bit more about what is this resource and what it can do for them. 
um, what a chief of staff is and what a chief of staff is not. Oh, um, yes. You know, absolutely. And so you're right. The title wasn't as common. Uh, you know, we, we saw maybe titles from, from the past, like executive business partner or, um, you know, um, like strategic, you know, advisor. Yeah, business, business manager, maybe. Yeah. Business manager, business operations. You know, those are some more traditional roles. And there's definitely like overlap with the chief of staff concept that I have defined. Um, but again, you know, some people think, someone said to me the other day, you know, chief of staff is like an EA with a brain. And I was like, oh my goodness. You know, oh no. <laughs> we, we got we to gotta, we gotta start, um, start from, from the beginning. And by the way, EAs are extremely helpful and they definitely do have brains and provide extreme amounts, extreme amounts of value. So, you know, let's, let's not use that phrase. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think part, again, part of my job is that education component, which I love doing and uh, really helping people see what is the possibility um, for their new feature with this chief of staff. Right. You know, um, when I think about a chief of staff and I think about either your, and it doesn't matter what phase you're in, whether you're a startup CEO, a tenured CEO, um, corporate executive with a large line of business that you're managing, um, a chief of staff just plays so many hats and can be so powerful. I feel like it's so underserved in the value that it can provide. Um, when you talk to um, CEOs and executives, what is sort of the, you know, pitch or the why that you tell them and why they need a chief of staff? Yeah. You know, the chief of staff is the unsung hero of business. I That's like my that. my tagline. Oh, yes. I mean, Absolutely. I'm a hero. <laughs> totally. Totally. You know, I ask them a few questions. I'm like, you know, how are you spending your time today? Do you have back-to-back -back calendar meetings? Do you actually enjoy doing your job? Are you doing things you don't want to be doing? Do you know what your zone of genius is? And are you playing in that zone all the time? Or are oh, you I getting dragged that. away? Wow. And so they'll, they'll, if they stop, I'm like, oh, yeah, um, I, I guess I keep doing these recurring meetings because they're on my calendar. Or, you know, I just have this to-do list that just runs forever. Um, and a, a lot of folks you know, have this stoic concept of the CEO. They have to do everything. They can't raise their hand for help. You know, they, they really have to put on a good face for everyone while suffering inside. And so I tell them, this is crazy talk. How are you going to actually grow your company to the level you want? How are you going to achieve your vision? You're not going to do that by doing the same thing. You need support. You need help. Like the best athletes out there, have not only one coach, they have teams of coaches. They have a nutritionist. They have a, you know, sprint driller. They have a stylist. They have yeah, a, real a mental person. fitness coach, a mental yeah, fitness exactly. coach. Yeah. Totally. So why don't you have that? And why aren't you investing in yourself at the very base level, which is a chief of staff? Right. No, that's so important. So if we, if we take a step back just a little bit, just a little step back. Okay. So how do you go from having this vision and dream of being in the financial services or investment bank industry um, to becoming today a chief of staff, an entrepreneur and CEO of your own chief of staff uh, company? How, how and why and how? You know, that's a great question. I 
mostly grew up in Palo Alto, right next to Stanford, where I attended and for college. And, you know, I had this funny chip on my shoulder. I was like, I don't want to be a typical Stanford student. I don't want to be a doctor. I don't want to be an engineer. Both my parents were engineers. I don't want anything to do with Facebook or Google. Like everyone's interviewing for those jobs. I'm going to go into finance. And there's not a lot of Stanford people in finance. And there's probably a reason why, because the community is so geared towards entrepreneurship and tech. And I was like, I wanted to be like a little a black sheep, so to speak, but in finance, which is not really being a black sheep, to be honest. <laughs> so, you know, honestly, when I got there, I, I did engage um, my analytical brain to the max. It was actually very stimulating. I had a great formal education from folks that were ex-Goldman Sachs folks. And, you know, they, they, um, they taught me and they demanded a lot and they raised the bar of what I was able to achieve in business. Um, I just realized that my whole creative side was not being engaged. And I, you know, I, I, I'm lucky enough to learn multiple languages. I lived abroad as a kid. I did a lot of music as well. And so it was very creative um, before getting into the working world. And I realized I wasn't being creative at all in the, in the working world. So I was like, something has to change. Um, and so that's when I made the switch from finance and I've solely drifted to more and more entrepreneurial um, roles. I took basically a role at a, like a mid-sized company, but on a small team that was kind of pioneering a new product and service. So I was still like being safe within a larger company, but yeah. still getting a taste of yeah. that entrepreneurship. You were being, you were being an intrapreneur. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so then from entrepreneur to you know, consultant, actually consultant, I was working as a 1099. So I got a taste of what it's like to be a flexible, fractional um, 1099 worker before the pandemic, by the way. Um, so I was working remote. And, you're, just, yeah. you're just a trailblazer, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, this is cool. This is amazing. I have more control over my life and, you know, I'm traveling less for work and still delivering really high levels of service. And then I was like, okay, well, how do I create a single shingle for myself. How do I become a, a chief of staff consultant for myself? And then the more I talked about in the market and connect with folks like you, they're like, I would love to join this. And so that's how I got to Cedar today. Oh, that's awesome. So when you started on this journey, like your first entry into entrepreneurship, maybe share with us, because I'm sure there's people out there that are in that, if you re rewind yourself a little bit in that boat right now, um, what are some of the things that if you were to go back, you would tell your um, sort of novice or new entry into entrepreneurship? You know, I would say start by testing very small ideas um, and okay. don't put a lot of like pressure that. on yourself. You know, it's it all starts with an idea and it starts with you talking about it with one other person and then talking about it with 10 other people. So you find your idea. And then create a very small like MVP for that idea. So just posting about it on LinkedIn or posting about it on Twitter or wherever you have like a following and seeing what the reaction might be from, you know, your community, your market um, and take it from there. And, 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 you know, don't be afraid to go through like hundreds of ideas, <laughs> you know, um, until you get to one. Because it's not a one and done sort of thing, which I think is the misconception. And I sort of had this misconception too. I think as overachievers, 
or, you know, just having that in nature, you feel like, okay, I'm going to go and start something and it's going to be great. And I'm going to like hit it <laughs> big. And then, and then you have like this expectation and reality that are like way far apart. And then you just like, crash. Totally. you're crashed totally. because you, that this disappointment occurs when you've set the bar, maybe unrealistically a little bit. I think accepting outcomes is important. And um, you, you, you hit it on the nail. That's such good feedback for people and individuals to hear, you know? Um, do you, you know, how do you uh, sort of portray the importance of having a good support group around you? Well, to be honest, I need to show this more in my post and my writing on LinkedIn because I advocate for a whole person conception of being, you know, maximizing your personal impact. Like when I talk to, to CEOs, I'm like, how are you doing in terms of your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being? And then they're like, whoa, when's the last time someone asked me that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're shook. You we're know? almost like, thank you. Where's my where, when can we start the conversation? <laughs> exactly. And so then we then it invites the conversation around support networks and, and um, you know, how all these other aspects in your life actually feel your performance on the job. And if you model that and you're actually open about that to your employees and maybe the world, um, you're just going to attract healthier, better employees so to your 100%, company. 100%, yes. Yeah, I mean, yes, I have this whole chief of staff, you know, um, business, which I think mostly the messaging and the focus I have is on, you know, impact on the job. But I have a bigger vision of just performance for CEOs, top executives, and helping them think beyond just how do I save time and manage my calendar down? But like, how, what am I doing outside? How, what's my family like? Like, what's my nutrition? What's my health like? And then seeing this whole picture that supports them as a, a top performer. I, I love that because I just did a bit on, you know, burnout. And that is the reason because it is so easy to create this avoidance of emotions, right? And you you get you keep busy and you stay busy because that also helps you avoid really tackling what's happening. But there's an old Buddhist you know proverb that states your mindset is what makes you who you are. You are what you think. That whole quote, "You are what you eat," derived from "You are what you think," which actually matters more in today's society because your mindset really matters. And it's okay, just you, just like you, you mentioned right now, it's okay to be vulnerable. We're taught that we have to be this like, you know, have this iron shield and to be a leader or CEO or entrepreneur, like you cannot show emotion or you cannot show weakness because you are, you are it and you're charging. But I feel like when you do, you've now created an opportunity to be real and trustworthy. You've also created this notion that I am human and it's okay to feel this way. Employees of mine or my partners or my peers, like let's all be okay with feeling this way because we will be better in the long run and get support from each other, which is so critical. Why is that so missed? Why? Why, why, are, why are emotions taboo? Well, I have a lot of great thoughts on this. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you know, I think without getting too much into a history lesson, I am a big. I love it. Um, Me too. <laughs> I back, uh, yeah, from nerd to nerd. I love it. 
I think <laughs> it comes back down to our puritanical history as a nation in the United States. You know, we were founded on puritanical ideals of hard work, you know, not showing emotion, um, just enduring it. And that maybe served these immigrants that needed to build houses and dig ditches and plant fields, but it doesn't serve the modern CEO. Um, and they're not going to be successful with that. So there's a little bit of history there. And then it's, you know, it's, it's just been modeled in, in, in our social norms. Um, the way that kids are taught in school, um, yes, it is changing, but especially for men and boys, they're not taught to show their emotions. And from a young age, if they do, they're actually labeled as gay. And I'm LGBT, and I actually, obviously, you know, went through a lot of this this process, difficult process of coming out, and internalized a lot of homophobia and, and male norms. And luckily, you know, I was able to break free somewhat from that. Still work in right. progress. Right. But um, now I see the way that these patriarchal values actually have an impact on the way we think and act and perform. Yes. So yes. there's a lot of social norms there too that that contribute to the Stoke CEO. Yes, no, very, very well said. And I agree. And I, you know, we've all sort of faced a little bit of this. And thank you for sharing because I know it's not easy to share, you know, things that happen to us along the way that are challenging or just emotional like it's okay you know um i've actually i've thought a lot about this and i've also thought about like how do i want to make an impact because you know we're we're on earth for a short while and when this is the other reason why we feel so we have this feeling of emptiness you know or emptiness epidemic which i i really think is is a problem today but we 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 run day in and day out and, you know, we keep busy and all this avoidance and we don't talk about emotions. And then all of a sudden we find that the things that made us move, we didn't focus on. The things that shook our soul or made us smile, we didn't really do much of. And, and these, these are true problems that we have in our society. Um, I, you know, love, love children. I feel like they're not given the foundation to really tackle society, just like you just mentioned. Like you literally had to grow up in these societal norms and then deal with your emotions almost in isolation. Um, and then you're just expected to level up, just mature up, you know, like, boom, you're going <laughs> to exactly. wake up one day. Why are you feeling that way? Why are you in your feels? Why are you emotional? Oh, depression, anxiety. Like, you know what I mean? And you're like, but this is my, this is my problem. And so it is my goal today. I've started putting a curriculum together for high schoolers to deal with life. Amazing. Oh, Excited. You're the I first person I told, actually. So I was so excited. <laughs> ah, I'm so honored. Well, this other thing that we haven't talked about, um, I've done life coaching and admissions coaching for high school students, always as a side gig. And that has obviously impacted me. And you're right. I think children are a gift to society. And we need to give them the tools to think about their own personal values, what they want from life, where they want to go, how do they get there. And so I'm so excited to see your course. Thank you. Hey, I figured if we can't, if we want to see change, we have to plant the seeds today, right? And I tell 100%. people this all the time. I, yeah, and I, I tell 
so many people this, and I hope this gets quoted somewhere, but we as parents and as individuals that have children around us are influencing and raising kids for a world that is going to be tomorrow, a world that doesn't exist today. But what we do is we focus so much on raising kids to for a world that was yesterday, the world we grew up in. That is the biggest problem. We're raising them for tomorrow. We have to be just like any entrepreneur, just like any CEO, just like any consultant, any strategist. You have to be able to see the trends of where society is moving into and how kids need to be prepped for that new world, which right now kids are not being prepped for the new world of AI, of digitization. Of you know, They're not. They're just not. They're not being prepped for it. They're being indulged in it and being taught how to do it, but not from a emotional aspect mm. or a mental aspect. Mm. Yeah. It's a lot to ponder upon, right? <laughs> it's huge. I it's love so, it. It's so huge. Um, so tell us, Mackenzie, what is something about you um, that maybe you believe in that's not common knowledge or you're trying to make change in or influence? That's a great question. <laughs> it just came to me. I don't know why I felt like I, yeah. I wanted to ask that. <laughs> well, I just wrote about this on LinkedIn the other day. You know, I think CEOs need to have more fun. Um, where's the fun on the job? Where, where It's a slog these days. Investors are demanding more. 2023 has not been great for the economy. And a lot of people have had to go through layoffs. So maybe they think they, they can't have fun. But you know, I, I think there is an element of creativity and joy and fun that even executives um, and should should bring to the job. And, and it's infectious and will you know affect everyone around them. Um, back to this concept of a stoic CEO. That's absolutely the archetype that I think we should knock down. Um, and, uh, you know, more fun on the job means you're actually maybe getting more energy back from the activities that you do. And, you know, your ideas are going to be better and, you know, people want to work for you. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, true. But but just like emotions were taboo or are taboo, I almost feel like fun is taboo. Mm -hmm. Right? Like why? <laughs> like why? Why is fun taboo? Like life is hard as it is. It, exactly. <laughs> and we're spending how many like, hours at work? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're there. I mean, so that's that's a big thing because a lot of people, especially I would say individuals with dependents or have a lot going on outside of work, um, really talk about like this work-life balance, but it's really part of your life. So you got to figure out how to integrate it, not separate it, which is the biggest reason people are so frustrated and have burnout and anxiety and depression because that you got to put it together. I did something back when I was, I remember I was 30 years old, which was more than a decade ago now, okay? <laughs> Just to give timing of, you know, digitization and society. I was, I had to do my MBA in person because there really weren't that many remote options. So I did it full time. I had a baby, a toddler, and I was running strategy for a bank. And I remember at that time, I had to teach myself um, that, okay, I decided to do this. So if I'm deciding to do this, I'm going to have to do two things. One, enjoy it because it is an experience in my life. 
And then two, you know what I did, Mackenzie? I threw away all social norms. I threw away all the baby books. I threw away all the what you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. Plus, I worked in an industry where, you know, you sort of had to be this, to be a good leader, you had to be an A-type leader. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I threw all that out. I threw it all out. I let it go, baby. Let it go. (laughs) I love it. I let I it go. It. I learned to enjoy my moment, be in the moment and enjoy it because it made everything more memorable. You know, yes. my daughter slept at 2 a.m. with me when I was studying. She was a baby. She's fine. She's alive. She's healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? She's super flexible because she could go to sleep anywhere. So there. <laughs> Preach. But no, to your point, very good point. That is that is such a good point. Um, so what are, you know, who are some people or some books or some podcasts or whatever it may be, what sort of, what, what is your go-to or your mentor or your must read, um, when you need a little boost or push that you sort of fall back on? I mean, I'm huge about music. As I mentioned, I grew up doing a lot of music as a kid. Um, and, uh, no, I, love all types of music. I'm listening to like Afrobeats playlists. I'm listening to classical piano. I'm listening to some jazz. Um, and you, you, know, you play music, music, right? I do. I, I did classical violin and voice as a kid. Love. And then uh, I picked up guitar and piano along the way and took a songwriting class. And it's, it's so inspiring and also, you know, calming to, to come back to music. Um, you know, these folks are so dedicated to their craft and they also inspire me to do my craft. Right. Um, so that's, that's great. You know, I always have some sort of like playlist playing when I'm working or going to the gym. So does this, does the playing of the music and, and being in that moment, is that almost, would you consider almost like a meditative state for you or a outlet in, in sort of the busy life that you have? Totally. When you are practicing a scale on the piano, you are thinking about only the tips of your fingers as they go across the keys. Like you need to be hyper plugged in into the moment. And so um, practice time always has been a meditation. I used I remember I was practicing so intensely as a kid. And sometimes my mom would try to come into my room and I would literally jump. <laughs> I would jump, like get so startled because I was so dialed in, so so in the moment. And so, yeah, it's definitely a meditation. Um, it's a way for me to focus, to be in the moment and, you know, take my mind off a lot of the, the thousand things that I, w- I want to be doing in my business. Oh my God. I, I love that. I, I completely love that. Um, can you share, if you're okay sharing this, you know, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, not there's there's an there's an issue of inclusivity that occurs when you don't follow a normal path or are not homogeneous to everybody around you in an in industry or whatnot, right? And and people face it for different reasons, right? Like I faced it being a female, a minority, right? And in different industries, different different things. How how did you cope? with some of those challenges. And maybe this might help bring in the chief of staff role. How can chief of staffs help CEOs and companies actually close some of that gap? Mm, that's, a, that's an amazing question. You know, when I joined um, 
the firm in my in my finance capacity, I quickly realized, hey, I was a you know young twenty two year old Asian gay finance professional in a sea of older white males. <laughs> so I, I, you know, honestly, there's a little bit of fitting in that I had to do. You know, I changed my hairstyle. I changed the clothes that I wore. I, I changed the tone of my voice so I could gain more respect and, and uh, have people take me seriously. And so there's some, there's definitely compromises that you make so that the job becomes easier. Um, at that time, there was the start of this organization, which is amazing and still here today. It's called Out for Undergraduate Business Conference. And the, the point was to recruit a lot of um, folks from college that identify as LGBTIA um, into banking and consulting. And so a lot of um, you know friends or peers that I had met through that conference, I could rely on or you know commiserate. Um, and talk about what's it like being on the job. Yeah. So affinity groups um, are super helpful, you know, just to talk about issues about fitting in or thinking about how to um, navigate that workplace. And, um, you know, there's, there's definitely a, a change. Now, back to your question on how could the chief of staff in more um, better DNI diversity and inclusion into the entire company. Um, you know, this chief of staff is the CEO whisperer. They have the ear of the CEO. So, by the way, don't cross the chief of staff because you're not going to get what you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, so they have an outsized um, impact on the buying share of the CEO, and they can definitely surface issues that need to be dealt with and also give them a vision of what it's like to have a truly diverse and inclusive organization from top to bottom, right? By the way, it has to be at all levels. Um, and there's a really great practitioner named Lily Zhang, who's also a Stanford alum of, um, you know, Cosme. And uh, they, they are an amazing advocate for creating these types of workplaces. Oh, that's great. I love, I love to hear that. And I also feel like when I, you know, think about a chief of staff, and I don't know if this is a good analogy, but I almost see like an octopus with all the hands coming out, <laughs> right? Or, and I feel yes. like, you know, because they touch so many lines of business or so much of the leadership team, you know, helping HR think through, okay, what are some of the top initiatives that need to be put in place from a people initiative perspective, right? And when you have, when you have, like you said, you're the CEO whisperer, you can help bring some of these initiatives to the forefront to drive that change, which, you know, I think people don't realize how impactful that is, you know, mm -hmm. um, so impactful. So yeah, thank you. And thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy. I oh, mean, I, I'll be honest, people make me cry. I've, I've sat in the car and cried <laughs> it out. As strong, as strong as I am, right? And all this, I, there have been days where I had to sit in the car, cry it out and go back in and put my girl, big girl pants on, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it yeah. happens. It's, it's so real. And having an affinity group um, or just a support group is so important. And we almost forget that, like you don't have to be alone. Um, and so that's great on so many levels. So thanks, McKinsey. I love it. I was going to say one more piece to that. Um, I have a mission to place a lot of chiefs of staff from diverse and underrepresented backgrounds into that spot too. 
uh, particularly because it's such a position of power. And, um, you know, it's a finishing school or a training ground for future founders and CEOs, um, or even getting, you know, obviously into another C-suite or director level position. And so, you know, that's definitely part of my mission to, to uplift, um, you know, folks from those communities. Yeah, I love that. Oh, my God. Hand clap for that. That is great. Thank you for making change, being an impact. That is so awesome. That is so awesome. Um, you know, I I was going to ask you, so you've, you've kind of had this amazing journey and your journey is almost just starting, even though you've done so much. Um, tell us what sort of what's next, what's next for Cedar and McKenzie and, you know, what are, what is everything that, you know, we should be looking out for that'll help us as chiefs of staffs and, you know, joining Cedar and maybe more than chief of staff. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, in the medium term, I just dropped this Cedar Chief of Staff playbook, which got more than a thousand downloads over the past oh two hours, yes. which is amazing. Love, amazing. Um, yeah. And so I post daily on LinkedIn and compiled a lot of writings into this 42 page playbook. And the response has been amazing. And it's really fueled me to create a newsletter to continue delivering amazing content for the Chief of Staff community. So that's that's number one. Um, other things I'm going to be doing is creating courses, too, for folks like aspiring chiefs of staff that want to break into the chief of staff role, and then also chiefs of staff that want to, you know, up-level their performance on the job. Um, and then, you know, I think the longer-term vision, um, you know, hey, I think we can uplift this conversation, like we're talking about, like, you know, CEO performance. It's not just the chief of staff. There's other things to be talking about and to supporting these top, top executives. Um, and so changing the, the conversation to everything we talked about, you know, full whole person, um, you know, support, um, thinking about the interconnectivity of physical, mental, spiritual well-being, um, you know, really getting away from the stoic CEO to having fun on the job, um, really changing the way business is being done, you know, yes. at, the, at the top. Yes. There's so many leadership topics that I love. I would love to dive into. And um, stay tuned for more. Yes, yes, yes. I love it, Mackenzie. <laughs> Preach, Mackenzie. Yes. <laughs> hey, I mean, I think that's great. And I, um, you know, this has been so inspirational. And I think, you know, if there's anything anyone's taking away from this is the importance of being true to yourself and then just taking the step and doing it. Like you said, right? Like you wrote a 42 page manual and you put it out there, right? That's something, if anybody has a topic that they want to talk about or breach or make an impact, anyone can do that. And that's so easy, but it just takes the first step. Like take that first step. Sometimes you'll fall back. It's okay. Sometimes you get to step two and then keep moving up, you know? And um, I, I love that. Are there any other parting words that you'd like to leave um, our audience with? You put me on the spot here. Uh, <laughs> That's what I do. I mean, it's a test. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, stay tuned for some um, amazing content. Um, I have uh, really great dreams for um, bringing Chief of Staff to uh, TV. 
and um, there's some ideas in the works. So stay tuned. Okay, yes, we are staying tuned. Thank you, Mackenzie, so much for making the time today. I know you're super busy. Your words are inspiring. I know this is going to reach many people. Uh, I'm going to tag in the show notes um, Mackenzie's profile, Cedar's profile, and the manual. So you can go, you can go download it um, and really take advantage of some of the great um, lessons and learnings that are out there. Thank you. Thanks so much, Manal. Thank you for tuning in. On each episode, we will continue to bring on successful, dynamic individuals to dig deep and share stories that will inspire you to power up your life. This show is packed with unrivaled storytelling and no reservation advice. Tune in now by searching Power Up with Manal wherever podcasts are found. Please show us just a little bit of love by leaving a review and hitting that subscribe button. This helps our small production get reach and voices heard globally. Let's power up together, baby.